Today is the 19th of December in the year 2013. We are in the full moon uh, meditation hall in the new hamlet in the winter retreat. Today we are talking in Vietnamese. Next Sunday we will talk in English. On the 22nd in the lower hamlet there will be a Dharma talk in English. And on the eve afternoon of the 24th, New Year's Eve, we will talk in English. And at the New Year, we will talk in English. So there will be four English Dharma talks. Last time we said that the Alaya consciousness is connected to the five universal mental formations. And after that we learnt that in the Theravada school of Buddhism the number of um, of universal mental formations is not five but seven and that includes uh, the one-pointed mind and a vitality or life faculty one-pointed mind and life faculty and one-pointed mind is, means a concentration The mental formation called Chetana, volition, means uh, an intention to realize something. This, uh, this word uh, Chetana, it does not mean thinking here. It is a, a determination, a desire to realize a, de yeah, a desire. And we should ask, uh, what does Alaya want to realize? And in the teachings, we talk of the four nutriments. The third nutriment is called Samchetana or Chetana, the food of volition. Volition is a food. If we don't have that food, we don't have life someone who doesn't want to do anything it's someone who's about to die
We need to have that desire to do something. Alaya doesn't want to die. Alaya wants to live. So Alaya has jetana, has volition, along with contact and mental attention, feeling and perception. But this desire c couldn't be uh, that Alaya's desiring something can be just temporary, lasting for a moment, but the food of volition is something that has to always be there, something we remember always, that we want to have, we want to realize, not something temporary. And someone who has a, a source of, of volition has a great deal of energy. But the food of volition could be nourishing, wholesome, healthy, but there are kinds of volition which are not healthy. For example, the desire to take revenge, to kill the other person in order to assuage our anger, that is also a kind of volition food. And among those who we call terrorists, They, they have that kind of strong desire to punish, to kill, to get revenge. And that gives them a lot of energy. Sometimes they could sacrifice their own lives to get revenge. And therefore, volition food is a source of energy, but that source of energy can be not wholesome or it can be wholesome and in our life as a human being we need to have a desire to realize something and the Buddha taught us to sit quietly look deeply and find what is my deep desire my deepest desire what is it is it to have a lot of money fame, sex, or something else. What do we want to do with my life? And that is the food of volition. And each of us have to sit and examine what is the source of volition food in us. We have to recognize it and identify it. In the past, the Buddha, before he became a monk, had a desire. And that desire was to be able to understand and see and transform suffering and to help the world, help other people. And because Siddhartha was prince, he had many causes and conditions and material things. He had power. He had a future. He had a beautiful wife. But he was not satisfied with these things. And his volition food was not the wish to become a king, 
because he saw that being a king didn't bring happiness. His father, who was a king on the throne, was not happy. He had to face all kinds of difficulties and the suffering of his country. Therefore, Siddhartha did not want to be a king because being a king, like his father, would mean that he didn't have the, the, the power to resolve his own sufferings, his own difficulties. Or the corruption he could not solve in his own court and all the injustice, hunger in the society, he felt that he did not have the, the, the force to be able to transform these things. So Siddhartha didn't want to become a king. And the volition food of Siddhartha was not wanting to be a king, but wanting to do something that would help him to be free, light, liberated, at ease. And he could help people because he saw that politicians have no power to do to help people in this way. So Siddhartha really wanted to become a monk in order to find a path. And that path would help him to undo the worries, the, the troubles, the fears, so that he could be free. He could have... Um, insight and for himself and for other people and that is a very wholesome source of food that we see in the in Siddhartha and when young people become a monk or a nun they also have the same kind of volition food as Siddhartha had because they see in the world people have a lot of money a lot of fame a lot of power but they don't have happiness and therefore they don't want to go on that path that path of volition food. They want to go on a different path, a path of transformation of ourself and participate in the career of the Buddha and the Sangha so that life has less suffering. And when we participate in a retreat of five or six days, we see that in five or six days, many people have transformed a great deal. They can reconcile with their loved ones, they can find the joy in life. So we know that this path is a path that can help people to stop suffering and have happiness. And that is why we give rise to the desire to become a monk or a nun. And that is a source of volition food. And in, the, uh, in Buddhism we call this the bodhicitta, the mind of love. That is the mind that wants to wake up in order to be able to save others, help others. Therefore, a monk or a nun who can keep his bodhicitta alive, strong and solid, is someone that has a lot of energy, is not afraid when he meets difficulties. And he doesn't have the desire to run away from those difficulties. Everyone who has bodhicitta has a, a very a heart on fire in his person. And he can maintain and nourish that volition food. And he has a lot of vitality 
and a lot of uh, strength to do what he wants to do, transform himself and help others to transform. So, when we've become a monk or a nun, we have to maintain, preserve and strengthen our bodhicitta because our bodhicitta is a very precious source of energy. As long as that source of energy is there, we are happy. And the reason why we don't want to be a monk or a nun anymore is because that source of energy has worn away. And the reason why we become a monk or a nun is because we see our path and we are agreed with the people who who we want to live with. We become a monk or a nun. We have to live together and work together with brothers and sisters who are also monks and nuns. We have a commitment. Once we have become a monk or a nun, we will live and work with those people because those people are also have the same direction as we do, the same kind of volition food as we do. If the other people do not have that direction and that source of food, why would we join the Sangha to be with them? Therefore, before we become monk or nun, we have to look very carefully to see the monks and nuns in this Sangha do they have the bodhicitta? Do they have the ideal that I have? And when we enter that sangha, will we have a, a, a future together? Or do we have the same direction out in the world? People also do that. I don't know in the West how it is, but in the East, when... Uh, a woman who marries a man. She has to take her career of her husband as her own career. Therefore, before they become married, we have to sit together as a fiancé we have to uh, discover what kind of addition food does that young man or young girl has. What are her dreams, his dreams, that he wants to realize? And we have to see, are they, is it suitable for me? Is it something I can participate in? If that person only wants to have fame and profit... or a lot of sex. And we have to see, do we want to participate in that kind of volition food, that dream? If if we don't answer that question, we may suffer in the future. We will make each other suffer in the future. Maybe... The young man 
wants to do do one vocation and vacation sorry vocation and the young lady wants another vocation they have their own separate dreams and when they marry they they just have a they just have the 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 outer appearance of marriage but in fact they don't share the same direction and they don't have great happiness because they don't have the same ideal in the west they have they they talk about dating people go out together they go out to have a meal together they go to the cinema together before they marry and during that time it's a time when we have to understand the other person and see what is that other person's dreams what is that other person's vision and do i really want to participate in it if we don't observe that and discover that we will suffer because we will both go on different paths and all the only reason we ca- we can stay together is a, a economical reason and our, our our world is not the same so the it's important to know the source of volition food in the other person and as monk and nun we have to ask ourselves do i have a life i have a life but what do i want to do with it what do i want to realize with have a, do i have a dream i want to realize you have to find it you have to answer that question in our relationship with our with our husband or our fiance we have to find out what is his uh, his dreams her dreams we have to understand that before we marry and if we have father and mother we have to know because sometimes father and son mother and daughter they don't talk about these things they talk about just functional things in their daily life and the mother has to ask mother when you the the daughter asks the mother did you have any dreams when you were young have you realized your dreams yet and uh, have you asked have you asked your father about his dreams you sit with your father daddy when you were young did you have any uh, dreams when you were young have you been able to realize your dreams when you when you met mother did your mother did mother help you to realize your dreams or did she, was she an obstacle to your being able to realize your dreams as a child as a son or a daughter we have to go to school but sitting with father and mother to ask these questions is very important if we sit and talk with father and we can sympathize with father and we can become a good friend of father and father will be happy and we will be happy father have you father if you haven't realized your dreams i can realize your dreams for you and if if we talk like that with father and son then there's a very good relationship between father and son
there are people who are already advanced in age, 60 years old, 65 years old. But then it's a little bit late. You can ask, what have I done with my life? So when we are young, you have to ask yourself that question. Don't leave it too late. But this food of volition is not just a dream about the future. In the spirit of Buddhism, if we have a, a food of volition, we have a dream, we have an ideal, we begin to live it, we have to live it. We live it in such a way that each step, each breath is the realization of our dream. That dream has to become realization right in the present moment. Because there is a path, there is a direction. And we put our whole life into that path in order to realize that path. The path is not different from the end, from the, the way is not different from the, the means is not different from the end. Normally we think this is the means, this is the path. And it goes towards realizing my dream. My dream is at the end of it. But if that dream wants to become, to be realized, it has to be there in every step on that path. Every step has that dream in it. If we want to have liberation and happiness, we have to bring liberation and happiness into each step we take now. That dream has to become reality in each moment of our daily life. That is the spirit of Buddhism. If we say that tomorrow, when uh, we have a socialist government, I will uh, have enough uh, energy to do this. Um, but today, so the socialist um, society is something very vague. It's a dream that can never be realized because our way of life now has nothing to do with a socialist ideal. So liberation is the same. Awakening is the same. We have a dream about it. That is our aim. But in our daily life today, whatever we do is the same. Whatever we say, whatever, we, whatever gesture we make, it has to rec realize the awakening. Don't wait until the end of the path to have the awakening. Every step has to have it now. Therefore, if we're young, we still have time to do that. We sit down and we find the source of our volition food, what is it? And we live our daily life to nourish that source of energy. We can ask ourselves, am I nourishing that source of energy in my daily life? And if we cannot nourish it every day, it will get worn away. And finally, we will not have that, that uh, path of life anymore. The reason we will no have 
no longer any raison d'être in our life. And at the same time, we have to talk to our, our friends on the path, our father, maybe our father, our mother, our sister, brother, or our spouse. We have to ask that other person because we love that person. We have to understand them and help the other person understand us. And between, and between these two, there have to be communication. And we have to talk about the volition food. It is one of the best ways to re-establish communication between us and the other person, our brother, our sister, our brother and sister in the monastic life or in the blood family. If there is that kind of that kind of communication in the family or in the monastic community, then the family has happiness. And that is all applied Buddhism. In life it's the same. If not, we may live together. But everyone is following a different ideal. So there cannot be a deep relationship between the two people. We lie on the same bed, but we have two different dreams. That is, that is so they say that in Chinese saying, we are sleeping on the same bed, but we have two different dreams. And that is a tragedy. We say we love each other, but in fact, we have our own, our own uh, dream. So the other person becomes a tool that we use to to realize our our individual dream. That is suffering. When we talk about love, we have to talk about the food of volition. So it's the, we're about to enter a new year. This is an opportunity for us to sit and to ask ourselves, what is my dream? Am I, am, I on the, am I realizing it or is it just an empty dream? Pure land, kingdom of God, Socialism, these can all be empty dreams because in our daily life we cannot actually realize these things. In our daily life, every breath, every step can make the socialism or the pure land or the kingdom of God present. If not, they are just empty dreams with no meaning. Therefore, pure land, like the kingdom of God, like the socialist paradise, are things that people sell to us. And we sell our lives for those things, but there's nothing in it because we cannot realize those things in our daily life.
here and now. We have to live in such a way that pure land, kingdom of God, that the socialist paradise is really there in the present moment. It's the same true with the married life. Married life is not two people having separate dreams. They have to live together so that there's real happiness together every day. When we talk about our life, Consciousness. It has uh, chetana, it has volition. We have to say, Alaya consciousness. What is your chetana? What is your volition? And we have to talk to our Alaya consciousness. And first of all, have learnt about the the self-nature of the alaya. And we have said that it is unobstructed. That is its, uh, its nature, unobstructed nature, indeterminate nature, not good or bad. And its feelings are neutral so it doesn't have happiness and sorrow happiness and suffering pleasure and pain because in store consciousness it's very clear those uh, five uh, mm -hmm. it, they say the five universals can feelings but they are not happy or suffering feelings they are neutral feelings so its nature is not suffering or happiness is not good or bad not pure or impure not uh, tainted or untainted Not Ashar Ash and Ashrava. Not good, not evil. Not suffering, not happy. And from there we go on and we learn twelve, no, eleven. 
eleven natures of seeds because the seeds are all the content of Alaya and the Alaya shares with the seeds the same characteristics and we have learnt that the seeds are organic and so Alaya is also organic and Alaya is not inside or outside it's not individual or collective it's both individual and collective so the twelve, the eleven characteristics of the seeds are the eleven characteristics of the store we don't have to write them all down again now we write, talk about the function function of Alaya store first its work is to maintain preserve so things are not lost like the hard drive of your computer all the information which you put in there the hard drive has to maintain it, preserve it so that it's not lost so that no one deletes it holding or storing because it is all the seeds therefore it needs to preserve and hold all those seeds and it plays the role of a hard disk second it, it learns here learning is translated from vasana meaning it is uh, impregnated it is infused it is perfumed we don't need we don't know how to write chinese characters so we have to learn and the le the result of our learning is that it goes into the alaya consciousness and uh, after a while the alaya consciousness will order the hand to write chinese characters and that is what is meant by learning and in English we can translate it as learning there's also vasana the, the computer has to learn the sangha, the, the alaya has to learn for example, we don't know how to drive so we have to learn how to drive and when we are learning the store receives store consciousness receives experiences 
In the beginning, we have to give all our attention in order to drive. But uh, when we've learned how to drive, we don't need the intervention of mind consciousness anymore. We don't need to concentrate. Just a liar does the driving. A liar works along with the eye consciousness in order to drive. doesn't need mind consciousness. Mind consciousness is thinking about all kinds of other things. But still, we carry on driving the car. And that is Alaya consciousness who is driving the car, not the mind consciousness. And Alaya acts very quickly. And mind consciousness reacts slowly. So Alaya learns a lot and things become a habit when Alaya has learned them. They're becoming habit energies. And we drive a car as a habit energy. And if something unexpected happens, Alaya will react very quickly. And Alaya also can handle things, can deal with certain things. It can handle the documentation, the information that it... It can manage the information that it stores... For example, we are driving and we, we meet someone, or we're walking and we meet someone, and we see someone who we, we remember their face, but we cannot remember their name. We know that we know his name, but now we cannot find it. And we use our mind consciousness to, to look for it. We can't find it. And then we just forget about the matter. And the next day, quite naturally, up comes the name of that person. And that is the work of store consciousness. Store consciousness can handle informations, uh, organize informations, process informations. And it also has the capacity to make things ripen, to ripen things. Vipaka. informations, the experiences which we put in the store, which are brought into the store, often they need time in order to ripen. And that is one of the functions of Alaya, 
like a song. Or some kind of knowledge. It's not ripe. It has to ripen. For example, every day we hear our elder brothers are chanting. Every time we hear that, we learn. And that learning, it is maintained and is uh, increased and then it will be uh, it will be ripened in that way and one day we will open our mouth and chant just like our just like our elder brothers do we will chant maturation or maturing like we uh, put some uh, put a pot of water on the stove in order to uh, cook some uh, mung beans. It's not enough just to put the mung beans in the boiling water. We need time for them to, to cook. And when they're cooked, they will smell very good. That is ripening. As far as art is concerned, or, and the same insight is concerned, there needs to be a ripening, maturing. And the example of Mother Earth is a good example. Mother Earth is the earth. We, we dig the earth, we put seeds in it, we bury the seeds, and it takes time before the seed will sprout and uh, give us a, a sprout. And it needs more time for there to be flowers and then fruits. And this is what is meant by ripening. And has the capacity to nourish. Function of nourishing. Just like Mother Earth also nourishes, nourishes something so that it can grow up. Emotions are the same. Love is the same. Insight is the same. Bodhicitta is the same. Enlightenment is the same. They need nourishing. And Alaya can nourish and can heal. This is a, a very natural capacity, the capacity of healing. Our mind is the same, our body is the same. They have the capacity to heal themselves. For example, if we 
we are cutting vegetable and we cut our finger and it's bleeding, it's bleeding our body automatically can heal that wound we just need to wash it our body has the capacity to heal itself if we allow it to and if we keep uh, if we keep scratching the 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 scratch of course it will never heal and if we are sick and we allow ourselves to rest our body will of itself heal our mind is the same our mind has sadness worry if we allow ourselves time those worries and suffering will calm down when something happened we suffered so much we thought we'd never be able to live but a couple of days later we can feel light again so our body and our mind have the capacity to heal themselves with the condition that we allow them to do that we have to allow our body to rest our mind to rest and we can help our body and our mind to rest so that they have the good conditions for healing and alaya can heal when we lose a loved one we feel very uh, at a loss we think we cannot live but time is a kind of medicine and slowly uh, we nourish Allah will nourish us and heal us So, Alaya self-directing, auto-navigating. Auto it can act, behave in an automatic way. Just like a boat, it can have a self-pilot, an autopilot. I don't know an autopilot so our brain is the same it doesn't need anyone to direct it it has billions of neurons and these neurons communicate with each other experiences uh, they, uh, news and uh, information and they bring about mental formations like uh, contact, mental attention, misunderstanding, feeling, perceptions and it, this happens uh, automatically there isn't a director who directs these things someone says, I'm the president, I tell you, you have to do this they 
these things happen in among the neurons. There is no self. There is no no boss. And the cells in our body are the same. We have trillion of cells, and no cell says, "I'm the director. You have to obey me." The cells are connected to each other. All cells have the capacity to receive information and to give information. So there is a harmony between the cells. And that is very like what happens in Alaya. Our mental formations are the same. has the capacity to maintain life or sustain life, I don't know. Opani. When Alaya has ripened something, it manifests as the main retribution and the environment retribution, something we've already learnt about. The main retribution is our body with the six senses and the alaya consciousness keeps these things alive the body and the six senses thanks to Allah there is life in the body and if you say that the body gives rise to the consciousness is not correct and if you say the consciousness gives rise to the body, it's not correct. You have to say the body and the consciousness rely on each other in order to arise. For example, this represents body and mind. The body is rupa, the mind is nama, nama rupa, psychisoma. Rupa is Soma and uh, Nama is Psyche. Nama, Rupa. These two things, they rely on each other in order to manifest. They are uh, causes of growth for each other. And their basis is alaya, the, the seed cause for these two things is the seeds in alaya. Body has a 
arises from seeds. Body arises from seeds. And the relationship between the, rela- the seeds in alaya and the body and the mind is called the hetu pratyaya, the seed cause, the main cause. main condition from seed and the relationship between the nama and rupa between the body and mind is the relationship of uh, of uh, causes and conditions for growth adipati Therefore, when we say that matter and spirit, uh, matter gives rise to spirit or spirit gives rise to matter, it's not correct. They both uh, arise from the seeds in alaya and rely on each other to manifest. If we say the reason we have consciousness is because of the brain, because they think that the brain is the matter and the Consciousness is spirit, but matter does not give rise to spirit. These two things are linked to each other, matter and spirit, but they have to have the seeds in alaya, the potentiality in alaya in order to arise. Therefore, we know that outside of the first five mental formations, we have the vitality, the jivit indriya. We cannot have an alaya consciousness without the life faculty, without vitality, the life force. Jivit means life, Indriya means faculty. Jivit Indriya, the faculty of life. In Plum Village, we say that that Alaya goes with five universals, contact, etc. And it also goes with concentration and life force. maintains life, sustains life. It makes this body and its six senses alive. That is vitality. And at the same time it manifests the environmental retribution. That means, yeah, our environment. The environment and the main retribution come from actions 
karma oh, of the person in alaya and they the and they are stored in alaya and when they are ripe they manifest as the main retribution and the environment retribution and when are they ripe that is a question when are they ripe these actions maybe one thing is not right but another thing is this is right but that is not ripe just like we have an orange and an apple and there are there are some apples which are ripe first and other ripe and later so maturation it is always happening happening at every instant Do you have the 30 verses? Oh. <laughs> Tai 4, he doesn't have them. the 19th verse with the habit energies of action and of double grasping some things are ripen first and others later because of the habit energies of action <coughs> that is action makes habit energies and there are the double grasping habit energy the habit energy of seeing things are separate from each other because these things are still there never all this life when this life is finished there will be another life following 
when the maturation has ended, one maturation, maturation has finished, another will start this when this body dies and when this environmental retribution is dead or is no longer there, there are still the action in the form of Yeah, there's still. So, when we die, it's not ended, because we have created karma during our life, and that karma will ripen. And when that is, this ripening has finished. This life has finished. We will have to be born in another life, another maturation. But this kind of maturation if we look at it it is called one time maturation and in the 50 verses we have the point of view of instant maturation taking place at every instant it does not just take a place when one life ends and another life begins but it takes place at every instant and in Buddhism there are there is the point of view of impermanence we are loyal to the three Dharma seals, and we know that the alaya consciousness is impermanent. Birth and death is taking place at every instant, and it is it is running along like a, a, a turbulent stream. This impermanence. In the sutra, they talk about two kinds of impermanence. The first kind is the impermanence of each instant. Impermanent in every instant. And the second kind is cyclical impermanence. At the end of a cycle there is an impermanence. This cyclical impermanence is after after a stage. We are born here and we die here. This death after we've been born is the cyclical impermanence. We are born here as a baby and this is the place where we lie on our deathbed as an old person. That is cyclical impermanence. This but in fact, if we analyze clearly we see clearly that this baby only 
existed for a certain amount of time. The baby did not continue. There was a time when the child had to turn into a teenager. So the child is also impermanent. So this kind of one life impermanence is not exactly correct. We were a child, but that child isn't dead already. All, all that is left now is the young man or woman. But, and as far as people who are called middle-aged, the young adult has also died. The child has died. And then we have the, the middle-aged person, then the old-aged person. But these are all, we don't just become impermanent when we die. We were impermanent when we became a young man, when we became middle-aged, when we became old. We were impermanent. And when we die, it's another impermanence. So this... A cyclical impermanence which is long or short, but the instant, at every instant impermanence, of course, is happening all the time. Seeds are coming, becoming actual dharmas at every moment. Therefore, that impermanence is happening at every moment. And when we we change, instead of saying uh, impermanent at every moment, we say born and dying at every moment. That is also correct. Or we say born and dying a cyclical birth and death. When this old man lies down and dies, that is uh, a death. But when the child turns into an adult, that is also a cyclical death. The truth is that we are dying at every moment. And this is very scientific. If we look in our body, we see that even in this moment, life and death are happening at each moment. There are hundreds of cells dying, millions of cells being born at one moment. So birth and death is not uh, cyclical. We don't have to wait until we are 90 to die. We are being born and dying at every moment. And thanks to this birth and death, the child can become a young adult. Life is like that. So maturation should be understood like that, as uh, maturing in every instant or cyclical maturation. If we say that maturation only takes place when we die, but if we read the 19th verse of the 30 verses, we get the opinion, we feel that it's only possible to 
be born again when this body has disintegrated. Only can we have a new body when the old body has disintegrated. But the truth is that we're having a new body at every moment. We are being renewed at every moment. We just can't see it. If we saw it, we would be very surprised. When the child has lived for three years, it looked very big. But if we're living with the child and see it every day, we don't see the child uh, growing. So maturation is like that. Something matures and manifests as mature. When we were a child, maybe, our life was very different. And when we became a young adult or a teenager, our life was very different. Our body was different. Our environment was different. Very different from before. For example, a nun who was uh, practicing in the traditional way, her body is different and her environment is different. When she comes to Plum Village, her body is different and her environment is different. So she has gone from one maturation to another. She doesn't have to wait to become a Shubha and die in order to have a maturation. So maturation takes place in every instant. And that is one of the sentences in the 50 verses which has pushed the Vijñapti teachings forward. Can you remember that verse? Who has learnt this verse and remembers it in the 50 verses? Sustaining life and manifesting as environment and as environment retribution. These are functions. of Alaya Consciousness. We've got nine of them so far. And if we add the characteristics we have... Hmm? Oh, the characteristics of Alaya, we have uh, 11 of them. And the functions, we have nine.
and there are uh, there are practitioners who come to a retreat of five or six days and they transform and they see life is completely different. They write a letter and the Thai and they say, Dear Thai, this retreat has changed my life. So that person has died and uh, been born as another person. That is maturation. We don't have to wait until we're old and lie down on our deathbed in order to mature. And as far as uh, maturing at every instant, it is said like this. Say that there is a globe. And the, the, the mass of that globe is always the same. It's not increasing or decreasing. And when we we push our finger into it, on the other side, it has to. In, when we've pushed in on one side, it has to uh, go out on the other side. And the pushing in and the and the pushing out on the other side is happen at the same time. One thing leads to the other at the same time. And there is no increase and no decrease. Just like when a wave, when it comes down, it dies. But it causes another wave to rise. When the wave, the force of the wave going down, it make, it pushes the next wave up and the next wave that goes up is a continuation of this wave therefore life and death go together maybe you think you're dying but you're being born dying means to be born and to be born means to die we are so afraid of death but death goes along with life Wherever there is life, there is death. Wherever there is death, there is life. Living and dying do not take place in cycles. They take place at every instant of our daily life. So we have to re-examine our idea of life and death. Life and death inter are. Without one, there is not the other. We need life. We need death in order to live. And if life doesn't have death, it's not life. It's just, uh, it's just like uh, uh, something static, something <coughs> inanimate. The reason why we can live happily is because we can die at every moment. If cells do not die in our body, new cells cannot be born. So if we want to have new cells born, we have to allow old cells to die. Death means life, birth. Next time we will talk in English.